Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. We are on the July 23rd episode, starting in Joshua, the end of Joshua, the last chapter of Joshua. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Do you remember, I'm sure we talked about this some last year. I'm pretty sure we talked last year about like when Balaam shows up in Joshua and he goes and he ends up blessing the people when Balak asks him to curse them. And we kind of were trying to figure out who he was. Mm-hmm. And I may, this might totally be a repeat. And I noticed it last year and I just forget. Well, then in Joshua 13, a week or so ago, I re, I didn't, I don't think I mentioned it, but I noticed um, in the section about Reuben, probably around verse 22, that Balaam is one of the people who's who's put to death by the people of Israel as they're taking over the land. So in Joshua 13, Balaam is one of those. And it, it says, it caught me attention because it says, in addition to those killed in battle, Balaam, son of Beor, the soothsayer, was put to death by the people of Israel. So I thought, okay, that makes me think that he's not a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. He's not, well, he, we know he wasn't an Israelite, but he seemed like he was. Well, then in 24 this week, well, verses seven through 10, somewhere in that section, God is speaking and he says, um, I brought you to the country of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan and they fought you, but I fought for you and took, and you took their land. Maybe this is God speaking. Mm-hmm. I destroyed them for you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, made his appearance. He was the king of Moab. He got ready to fight Israel by sending for Balaam, son of Beor, to come and curse you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. He ended up blessing you over and over, and I saved you from him. I just thought that was interesting because I yeah. feel like that was our whole answer last year. And maybe this is a repeat about whether or not Balaam was a good guy or not. And it sounds like he's a bad guy. He wasn't. Right. And God just totally... And God didn't count his good deeds because his heart was, it wasn't his heart that did it. That's right. It was God doing it. Mm-hmm. Like he was just a tool and God, because I think, because remember we talked about like, obviously Balak chose him for a reason. He expected him to go and curse the Israelites and do what he asked them to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. It kind yes. of makes me read that story in a different way. Like when Balaam says, I can't. Like, I literally can't. I have to bless you. It's because God is forcing his hand, you know? That's really cool. It's actually kind of cool to think about the way that, um, it, the fact that it's all of it is a matter of the heart. Like everything, mm-hmm. everything that we do before the Lord is how it's judged is a matter mm-hmm. of what's inside and right. it goes both ways. It's not about what yeah. we do. Like that's such a good, that's a good picture and evidence of the fact that it mm-hmm. has nothing to do with our good deeds. Yep. That's really good. Okay. This is actually something that I need help. I need, yes, I, I'm just seeing it right now, but this perplexed me when I got to Stephen's speech. 
Because at the end of Joshua, in Joshua 24, verse 32, it says, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. Anyway, starting in verse 32, where it says that, and I, I had read that last week. And I was thinking about it in terms of Shechem, because um, I, I think we talked about it last week that Shechem ends up being a, I was talking about the redemption of Shechem in that he becomes a refuge city for Israel. So I was kind of moved by the fact that God ends up redeeming Shechem when um, Israel would not allow him to redeem himself and wouldn't give him the grace to do that. And also looking at the thread where Shechem is the place where Joseph's bones are buried, which is cool because Shechem then is also the place that talks about that in the story of the Samaritan woman. Anyway, that cool theme of Shechem has ha been kind of on my mind and I've been paying attention to that. So when I came to Acts, I was really perplexed when I got to Stephen's sermon because it says... A famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, the second time Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob came down to Egypt. All of that sounds right. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But Abraham didn't buy that land. Jacob bought the land in Shechem from the sons of Hamor with silver. So it's one of, <laughs> because the land that Abraham bought and the tomb, I think that Joseph is buried in isn't the same. Like, I think that the land that Abraham bought is in a different area. Like I said, I think I'm wondering whether like <laughs> the details of the story don't matter, but like the overall picture is what matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, did Stephen get it wrong? <laughs> I think when I read it, Jacob died. I'm very sure you. Jacob had purchased. So I read it almost as like the family because I, I read it as like a family thing. Like it's Abraham. Stephen says Abraham paid a good price to the sons of Hamor. And in Joshua, it talks about, I was driving when you were talking, so I may have missed a little bit of it. Joshua says that Jacob purchased it. That's the issue, right? Well, no, the actual story, like, I mean, I, I was, we literally just studied that you chapter. You went back to it. Okay. We studied the chapter in Genesis where Jacob purchases the land in Shechem for a um, hundred pieces of silver. So everything about right. that is, is accurate, except the Abraham part, because Abraham bought a different right. parcel of land for a sum of silver and was buried in a different tomb, I think. So I totally didn't dig into it like you did when I read it. I just kind of thought they must mean the family of Abraham. Okay. Well, I know again, I, it was just one of those things that I was like, shoot, I need, I'm going to, I might actually stick Melissa on it. <laughs> yeah. You totally should stick Melissa on it. Um, or maybe I'll read commentaries on it. I'm just not sure. I'll, 
care that much, but it was, yeah. it's one of those things where it was like, Oh, I've never actually, it made me think of our thing with Bale is trying to figure out what his yes. deal is. You know what I mean? Kind of like yeah. paying attention to where he shows up. But this was one of those like, Whoa, that's not, I've actually been paying attention to that. And that is not what I read at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's just, that was just an interesting fact from my reading journey. Mm-hmm. So anyway, going into judges. Oh, did you notice at the very beginning that Simeon is the one? Okay. So I judges is also a little bit of a repeat at the beginning. Like it's kind of um, reiterating stuff that's happened already. Yes. But I just noticed again that Simeon Judah asks Simeon to go with them. And it reminded me of what you pointed out the other week about how Levi and was that in Genesis or was that in the Bible reading plan? It's in Genesis, that, but we talked about yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just that Simeon is one of the fighters and Levi is a fighter too. And I just noticed that I wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't pointed all of that out before, I think. Yeah. And Simeon is the, Simeon was cursed by Jude, by mm-hmm. um, Jacob saying that Jacob. he would live among his brothers and yep. he, that his portion of land is right in the middle of Judah. Of Judah. So, yeah. Yeah. Being able to picture all of that helped me to go, oh, that makes sense that Judah would take Simeon with him. Right. Right. Uh, because their assignment really was to go take over the land to go drive everyone out and they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in chapter two, starting in verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers following other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them. So anyway, that I just felt like when I saw that having coming through it the second time and kind of knowing what judges is about, I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. he like perfectly outlines exactly the rhythm of this entire book, which is right. Exactly what we get. Like we see them suffer for many years and then they cry out to God. I don't Mm -hmm. know what takes them so long, but they cry out to God. And then it's almost, it made me think of Moses raising up his hands in the desert. And whenever his hands were raised, they had victory. Yeah. And whenever his hands would get, um, tired and come down, they would start to lose. Huh? Right. Yeah. Kind of. I guess I read it as like, this is God saying, okay, guys, here's your leader. Like I'm giving you someone to follow to lead you back to me. And then, I mean, I guess it's similar, like uh, not giving his people an out, but kind of like giving them person to follow because that's what they want all along you know they have Moses and Joshua and then they ask for kings right they just do the same thing and so he gives them another person and then they fall back into their old way like it just yeah that cycle of well and even just like their incapability of doing it on their own yeah that's what I was gonna say like yeah that's what it makes me think of it's like we we think we can accomplish anything on our own to think Mm -hmm. that we think we can accomplish anything including worshiping God on our own it's absurd yeah. And I think Melissa mentioned that last week in our um, Sunday school class was that she was where Joshua says at the end of Joshua, they were like, we, we promise we'll worship God. And he was like, you must worship God. And they're like, we will worship God. And he's like, mm-hmm. you must worship God. And they're like, we will, we, we too will worship the Lord because he is our God. And then Joshua says, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. Mm-hmm. He'll not forgive your transgressions and sins. So anyway, Joshua pretty much calls it and says like, you can't. 
And then we see judges is like an illustration of how they just can't, they cannot worship God. Mm -hmm. But when they call out to him, God gives them victory. Yes. The thing that stood out to me this time that I was like, oh, I really don't know that I, even though I've read the Bible through the Bible all last year, like this is the first time that I've read it and gone, oh, when Joshua said, and Moses say, like, what, as long as you obey these commands, I will keep you. But if you give them up, I will give you over to your enemies. I've always kind of thought that it wasn't until they were overcome by the Babylonians that they experienced yeah. that the first time. Yeah. But so not true. Like, right. They actually experienced that over and over and over mm -hmm. and over and over. Like there are times where they're in complete famine. That that story of the Moabites moving in and taking everything so that they're all hiding in the mountains is so pathetic mm -hmm. and sad. I, yeah, I don't know. I just was like, it was like I was reading it for the first time again, that he actually had given them over to their enemies many, many times. Mm-hmm. To their enemies and just to themselves, like <laughs> that section in um, at the end of chapter one, there's this list that it says Manasseh didn't drive these people out yes. and Ephraim didn't drive the Canaanites out. And Zeb mm -hmm. like it lists all the people yes. or all the tribes that didn't bother doing the whole complete, like follow God's instructions completely. Yes. And so they just kind of move in and settle with the people that are there. And they, it actually says, uh, let me see if I can find it. They move in and live with them. I feel like there was one place where it says they moved in and settled, but they marry yes. and they like, they become like, they just kind of absorb them. It's easy to think, well, the Israelites are moving in. They absorbed them into their culture, but that's not what happened. The, the Israelites are the ones that got absorbed into their culture and into their gods. So some of that, I think some of that God giving them over is just to their own poor choices. Mm, totally. Yep. Like you didn't do what I told you to do. And right. You chose to live near and among sin mm -hmm. and yeah. idolatry. Yeah. I think this one's cool. Success of the house of Joseph in verse 22, the house of Joseph also attacked Bethlehem and the Lord was with them. They sent spies to Bethel. I think what's cool about this is I'm pretty sure. Oh, I need to look back. I'm pretty sure that Joseph is the tribe that came to Joshua and Joshua was like, you can overcome them, even though they have chariots. You'll right. Be because okay. Joseph is the one that's Joseph is Manasseh and Ephraim, right? It's the one that's split into two. Yes. Yeah. Joshua. Let's see. Here it is. The descendants of Joseph said the hill country is not enough for us and all the candidates. And Joshua said, you can also drive them out, even though they have iron chariots and are strong. Yes. So that's cool. When you think about that, that, jo that Josh, they came to Joshua and said, we're afraid. And he was like, mm -hmm. dude, you can do this. And I think of all the of all of the ones that didn't hadn't already overcome mm -hmm. their enemies in Joshua. I think Joseph's tribe is the only one that actually went and did it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Maybe because they confessed their fear. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. They looked dumb and weak. And in the end they did what they were told. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That is interesting. Othniel shows up again. Okay. So Oth Othniel is Caleb offers his daughter to whoever will go with him. Othniel agrees to go with him. He gives him his daughter. The daughter asks, comes back and is like, you gave us the land. Can we also have the two wells? Right. To him. 
anyway, now in chapter three, um, Othniel is one of the, he's one of the leaders, judges. basically. Yeah. yeah. He becomes a judge. Which is cool that we get a little yeah, bit of background that is on cool. him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have Deborah. Deborah's pretty awesome. Oh, Deborah, for the love. <laughs> Deborah is a stinking rock star. There's so much that I love about her. She calls, uh, what is his name? Barack? No. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Barack, yeah. the guy that doesn't, the guy that doesn't want to go. Yes. Yep. And but so she like bribes him to, well, not bribes him, but convinces him to go. Well, she basically calls, she's a prophetess, right? So she calls right. him and she was like, I know the Lord said this to you and you didn't go. And he was like, well, I'll go if you go with me. I think that really, that whole thing just stood out to me in that, like, she was a woman of God who God had given insight to. And it was like, he, it was like, he was like, well, I'll go as long as you go, because you clearly have insight right. from the Lord. And so it was kind of like, I need that. I need the strength of somebody who knows mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt that what we're doing is good and right and will be successful. Mm-hmm. And then I find it interesting that she was like, I'll go, but the consequence is that a woman's going to get the victory. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Brock doesn't even care. Brock's like, no, cool. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I also too, love. <laughs> I love too that. Like, as you're reading that, if you don't know the rest of the story, you totally think that she's talking about herself. Like <laughs> if, if you go with me, you're not going to get, it sounds like you're not going to get the glory I am like, and it's, she's, it sounds like that, but then you keep reading and it's not even Deborah. Like it's somebody else. Deborah sings a song that is absolutely beautiful. But one of my favorite Mm -hmm. lines from it is when the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord. Mm. Where is that? That's I'm sure it's probably interpreted a different way. Cause when I looked at the translation for lead, it looks totally different, but it's chapter five, verse two. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. I love that you mentioned that because I'm like, I'm not really sure what this is talking about because mine is totally different. The message says when they let down their hair in Israel, they let it blow and they let it blow wild in the wind. I mean, I guess the next line, the people yours is actually abandon. It sounds more like literal, more accurate. Yeah. Cause this actually says, or the locks of hair are loose. It says when the locks of hair are loose in Israel, when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord. So I don't know whether loose locks is a sign of leadership. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. For a study another time. Yes. Okay. So then we get Gideon, which is a really cool story. And that's where I was talking about. That's when the Midianites moved in and they completely mm-hmm. oppressed them. And they had like just a swarm of all of their people come in. It was just a really sad, that passage looked mm-hmm. really sad to me, but it is what reminded yep. me of how, oh my gosh, this is exactly what. Joshua and Moses said what happened. It's happening already. Mm-hmm. Going to Jeremiah. I found one of the things that I found interesting. There's a lot. Let me start here. God is so upset with these people who refuse his kindness. Like he just wants them yes. to accept his kindness and he's desperate for it. And what I found so crazy awesome about our God, whose everlasting love endures forever is that in chapter 17, starting in 24, he says, if, however, he's saying all the things that are going to happen if they don't do things. And then he says, however, if you listen to me, this is the Lord's declaration and do not bring loads through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. Kings and princes will enter through the gates of the city. They will sit on the throne of David. He's basically like, if there's one thing, 
just if you just do one thing, it's rest. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. you know, like, right. Yeah. Like, if they're resting on the Sabbath, like he's not asking for worship. He's not asking for offerings. He's like, I just want you to rest. And it's almost like everything else is going to come out of that. Like he knows that if you'll just start with rest, if you'll just rest. Because that rest is focused on him. Like that's yes. whole, the whole point of that is to redirect them to him. Mm-hmm. So if that's where they start. Like, yeah, like you said, like the other things will fall into place. It's like, it's like allowing him to work. Yeah. Like giving him a. Yes. Like giving him a chance to work. Yes. Yes. To see. Yes. Yep. So good. I love that. If they would just give him a chance to, for them to not do things so that he mm-hmm. can do his thing. Yeah. So good. And then the contrast of chapter 18 and 19, where the first, the first chapter, I always thought of the jar of clay or the metaphor mm-hmm. of the potter and the clay was um like there was one, but there's like two completely different metaphors, which is right. like, I would love to mold you. If you would give me a chance, I'll mold you into mm-hmm. a beautiful creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then chapter 19, mm-hmm. he's like, since you won't, I'm going to crush you Yeah, um, like a potter. And what I thought was interesting is that between 18 and 19, where in 18, Jeremiah is like, don't do this. Or like, he's like compassionate. Mm-hmm. Then in the middle, they plot against Jeremiah. And by the end of, <laughs> by the yes, end of, he's like, kill him. Yep. Get rid of him. I'm <laughs> done with him. Yeah. It's cool to see some of Jeremiah's. I feel like we see more of Jeremiah's humanity than we yes. did. in Isaiah. then of Isaiah, like Jeremiah yes. is this real guy who's like, I don't really want to do this. God, like, I don't really want to go tell these people these terrible things. Because it's awful. He's heartbroken. Yeah. They're his people. And yet then there are times where you see him almost like you see, like, he's like, okay, God, I get it. Like, I get mm-hmm. why you're so frustrated with them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Totally. All right. Acts. Acts. Yeah. Acts is just so fun to read. It's just so like, especially going from, we've been Jeremiah. in the Old Testament for so long. Yeah. Going yeah. from Jeremiah and then being jumping right back into this everything is brand new mm-hmm. like the whole I just when I was reading Acts this week I was thinking about like, everything is flipped upside down like even at the end yeah. with Cornelius when Peter's like we should not be doing this like this should not be okay for us to be sitting in this house and having a conversation so like obviously God is doing something and obviously yeah. this Jesus who we're all talking about is here for everyone like Everything was just completely flipped upside down. Yes. Okay. So here's, okay, I'm going to get into this because I'm just so excited. Annika, I am full on an amillennialist. Like I'm Oh yay! like there. <laughs> this is so fun. I, it is. I mean, it's so cool to think about like all the conversations that we've had. And I was so lost. Like I felt like I was just so blind. Like I just yeah. did not get it. I'm like, what are you even talking about? How is there another option? I don't, I cannot <laughs> see what you're talking about. Please explain. And I couldn't get it and I couldn't get it and I couldn't get it. And then like, I felt, and then there was like this breakthrough with that commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Started to kind of just like, it was like, it opened up my mind to the possibility just that the whole idea of two different endings. Right. Makes sense. Like it, it just never, it never made sense to me in the first place. Finally, like being free to be like, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And that's okay. Right. So like, what does make sense? And so thinking about this kingdom reign thing, the argument that 
what about the lion laying with the lamb? Like, yes. When, as I'm reading Acts, I'm like, that's when Saul and Peter that's are in the same. happening. Yes. And when the centurion is, when Peter and the centurion are together, like that is, that's exactly what we're seeing. Like this is. It doesn't this have is, to be a literal lion and a literal lamb. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It, it evens everything out. We are totally in this kingdom reign where sin is still at play, but we reign over it. Like we are, mm-hmm. we were intended to reign by the power of the Holy spirit. That's totally evident in this mm-hmm. passage, uh, especially in acts where you just see the power of the Holy spirit has given the right. church to, to reign. I'm like, this is, yes, this is not well, for even- them right then. This is for us right now. Like in yeah. completely and entirely for us. So yes. w- let's live into this. What are we yep. doing? And even in Peter's vision, I think it's in Peter's vision with, with the unclean animals and he mm-hmm. sees Jesus at the right, like just that whole idea of Jesus reigning, Jesus. Jesus sitting. Yes. Sitting at the right, which, where do we start? Um, and that uses that footstool language again that we talked yes. about before. There it is in chapter seven. Uh, so yes, that's the footstool language. This is in Stephen. When Stephen's talking, he talks about, um, he uses that, that footstool language. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then when Peter sees that vision and he says, he's talked specifically about seeing Jesus sitting on the right hand of God, like that Jesus is reigning. Like he yes. is there right yes. now reigning. And the funny thing is the thing that's cool is that like, this is my pastor's current obsession is King Jesus and our allegiance to King Jesus. Yeah. It's been super cool to go through acts and just see when you talk, think about a lion and a lamb, it's the predator and the prey. And Saul was the predator. He was going around and literally killing. It didn't matter whether they were men or women. He was going around and imprisoning all of them and approving the deaths of these new believers and we see this picture of how Saul then, uh, because of the power of God, is flipped and the Holy Spirit comes on him. And when this Holy Spirit comes on Saul, he becomes Paul. Not only does he become Paul, but now we see this friendship or this um, relationship blossom. Barnabas actually has to bring Paul into the fold because the apostles wouldn't meet with him because they were afraid of him. And Barnabas right. is like, no. And so Barnabas brings him into the sheep pen, you know, and they discover that he's really, he's the sheep. He's one of the sheep too, that they're all like, he has, he's actually a lion because we're going to see him go out now and become the apostle to the Gentiles, which again is another picture of the lion and the lamb, like this Jew of Jews mm-hmm. with the Gentiles who were dirty are now on equal playing fields. They're brothers and sisters. And Paul esteems them as equals and, that's what Paul is saying when he says there's no, no longer male or female or slave or master. It's we are all literally on the same playing field because the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer and Jesus is the king. Anyway, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, that is. I, I love how you pulled out all those correlations. Yeah. Imagery. All right. That's the recap. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.